exasperated against humanity, even in the United States. These things have been going on for years, where there have been religious wars and and terrorists have, have tried to take over nations. But here in America, we've been immune from many of these things. But suddenly the climate has changed. For the first time in my life, and I turned 60 back in January, but for the first time in my life, I am increasingly aware of my surroundings when I'm out in public. In fact, we are, we are being told now by our local authorities that every person needs to be constantly aware of their surroundings when they go out in public. Who would ever thought that would have happened here in uh, Tennessee? We never thought about that. There were days we just left the house and left the doors unlocked. You would never do that now. Things have changed. The climate has dramatically changed. I was talking to uh, Officer Haig between services and and uh, he said, Pastor, we've got to keep the people warned about being aware. He said, just in the last week, we've had two kidnappings out of public places here in Murfreesboro. Here in Murfreesboro, two kid- kidnappings. Public places, people finding soft targets and kidnapping people and, and doing assault and robberies. Right here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The climate of our nation, our culture has changed. The moral fiber along has changed. It's eroding. Absolutes are frowned upon. And anyone who believes in living a life of purity and moderate living is considered a radical and out of the mainstream. Think about that. If you believe in living a life of purity and moderation, you're considered a radical now and out of the mainstream. At the same time, we hear and watch people rail against these ills of our society, and they talk about the plight of our nation, how things need to change, and things that are different than they used to be, and they're complaining about it. I hear Christians talk about it all the time, talking about the problems. we got problems in our nation. Things need to change. Pointing fingers at people. Yet the statistics don't lie. Statistics are telling us that church attendance is decreasing nationwide, And once loyal church members are now finding other interests to occupy their time. Now who, if church attendance is decreasing, guess who's attending church less? Christians. Christians are the ones who go to church. And the the statistics are tell us church attendance is decreasing nationwide. And once loyal church members are now finding other interests to occupy their time instead of faithfully attending worship services on a weekly basis. At the same time, surveys are revealing that spiritual interest in America is at a high level. But, the, but there's also a bewilderment about what to believe and whom to trust. So think about that. Christians are attending church less, but in America, and amongst the people who are non-Christians, spiritual interest is an all-time high. But they just don't know what to believe. And they don't know who to trust. There's also a growing suspicion of organized religion in America. A growing suspicion of organized religion in America. 
Many people are still, though, even though the people are suspicious of organized religion, many people are still willing to turn to an ordinary church in hopes of finding answers. So it's a great paradox. People are not going to church, but their spiritual interests are high. They want to know answers, but they don't know who to trust. They don't trust organized religion, but in times of crises, they'll still run to a church. So it's a great paradox season in America today. Personal evangelism. One of the highest values of most Protestant churches is evangelism. Evangelism is the personal sharing of the gospel message. Anyone who has been a Christian long believes and embraces the idea of sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. In fact, the reason we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior is somebody shared it with us. So in turn, we understand we're supposed to share it with others. Evangelism is mentioned in our bulletins. We sing about it in our songs. We post it on our marquees. And we draft it in our statement of faith. We have it in our bylaws about personal evangelism. Reaching the unsaved is listed as one of the top priorities of most churches. But unfortunately, unfortunately, very few Christians are sharing the gospel with their unsaved friends and acquaintances. We know it's We need to do it. We know it's a part of what we're supposed to do. We know it's a part of the gospel, but most Christians are just not doing it. How many of you this morning have been in church for at least 15 years of your life? Raise your hand. You've been in church 15 years? If you've been in church 15 years, you've heard this verse of Scripture, these two verses. They're in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, 20. These two verses are referred to as what is known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. This is what it says out of the New Living Translation. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Listen to what Jesus told His church. He says, go into all the nations. One translation says, go into all the world. And that word nations there doesn't mean just geographical boundaries. It's the word ethnos, which comes, we get our word ethnicities. Go to every race of people. Not just white people, not just black people. Go to every race of people and preach the gospel to all the world. And then he says, not only preach the gospel, and tell, but also make disciples out of them. Get them to... Learn how to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. This mandate from Jesus is called the Great Commission. And here's the thing about it. Even though he said it 2,000 years ago, it does not have a statue of limitations. It doesn't run out after seven years. It's for every Christian, every church, forever. But something has happened over the last 25 years, according to statistics. Something drastic has happened in the church. Studies are showing that most Christians don't have very many, if any, friendships with non-Christians. We have become secluded in our own gang. 
We just hang out with our own buddies in our own groups, in our own church, who believe the way we do. And studies are showing that most Christians have very few, if any, real valuable friendships with anybody that's not a Christian. And if all we hang out with or try to talk to is Christians, guess what? We don't have anybody to share the gospel with. Because they already know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In fact, here's something that bothered me. A recent survey said that over 70% of high school students who were raised in church cannot quote John 3.16. I don't know about you. I couldn't in Boo's Sunday school class when I was little. You didn't get animal crackers unless you knew John 3.16. And a chubby boy wants animal crackers. I knew at the age of six. I knew John 3.16 in the Greek, in the Hebrew. I knew it in the Latin Italian. I knew it, I knew it in every language. I, I could quote John 3.16. There was Sundays I left with the whole box of animal crackers. But studies are telling us that now because our, our children and our adults are so biblically illiterate in America that a great majority of our church people can no longer quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You used to not even be considered saved unless you knew that verse of Scripture. A recent pastoral survey revealed that only 14% of pastors, only 14% of all pastors claim their church is heavily involved in evangelism. Only 14%. And only one out of three churches have classes on how to witness or share the gospel. I must apologetically tell you that we're one of those two out of three who doesn't have a class going right now on how to witness or share the gospel. Shame on us. Shame on the leadership of this church. Shame on the pastoral staff of this church. Shame on us that we haven't put an emphasis on that. You see, we sing good. We spend thousands of dollars on this equipment and these lights and these instruments, making sure people can sing on note. We preach good. We do church good. We do church services good, but our actions speak louder than words when it comes to the world. Do we really care about lost people? Do we sincerely believe that knowing Christ is the best way to live and it's the only way to die? Do we really believe it's the best way to live and the only way to die? On Friday of this week, I officiated a funeral in Cookville, Tennessee of a man who was 84 years old. And then I left that funeral and went to another funeral in Gallatin, Tennessee of a pastor's wife that was 47 years old. And the truth of the matter is, is the man who was 84, nobody knew his name but his family. The pastor's wife, everybody knew who she was. The truth of the matter, the man who was 84, he had a lot of the world's goods. The pastor's wife, she always did without. 
But when you go in that grave, it doesn't matter what you have or who knows you on this earth. All that matters, do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do we really believe that knowing Christ is the best way to live and it's the only way to die? Are we convinced that everyone we know without exception, without exception, needs to find forgiveness and friendship and life that Jesus offers? Do we really believe He's the answer to people's problems? Do we truly believe in hell? We don't hear much about it anymore, but do we believe there's still a hell? And that our family and friends will end up there if they don't trust in Christ before they die? See, Jesus has commissioned us to become persuasive communicators of the good news of Jesus Christ. He's, he's commissioned us. We're on assignment. I know most of us think that we just happened to show up there and they gave us a job or we happened to be at the right place at the right time and this door happened to open up. But I want you to know we're on an assignment from God. You've been commissioned. I've been commissioned. Look, at, look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse number 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says this. It's an amazing verse. It says this, We are therefore Christ ambassadors. We are Christ ambassadors. As though God, listen to this, as though God were, were making His appeal through us. God is making His appeal through us. He's, he's appealing to people through us. He's not coming down no more to do it again. He's already done it. Now He is making His appeal through us. So if anybody accepts Christ, it's going to be because they listen to us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now go back to that verse again, John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent. Everybody say sent. He just didn't show up. He just didn't happen to be there. It wasn't by happenstance or luck. You're not at your job because you just happened to be there or just right place at the right time. Every one of us children of God, Christians, we've been sent. We're on assignment. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a what? A witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. Notice the model of evangelism that God used to kick this whole thing off. The model that God used was sending a person to share the story of Jesus Christ. That's how God did it 2,000 years ago. That's still how He's doing it today. John just didn't show up. He didn't happen to appear. John the Baptist was not a random person at the right place at the right time. John was sent, just like you and I are sent. We're sent. People come to Christ. Here's what we know. People come to Christ one life at a time. And usually they come to Christ through the influence of one or two authentic Christians who have built genuine relationships with them. We thank God for the Billy Graham Crusades and all the people who have been saved. We thank God for the citywide crusades that you hear about. 
We thank God for the Brownsville revival and all the hundreds and thousands of people that got saved in Brownsville. We thank God for all the moves of God over the years that have happened. They're wonderful and they're great. But to be honest with you, if we did a poll of people here this morning, most of you and me this morning did not come to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade or at a big citywide revival. Most of us came to Christ because someone shared with us about Jesus Christ. Every day of our lives, every day of our lives, we have the privilege of joining Jesus in this adventure, adventure of personal evangelism. Jesus came, the Bible says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. He didn't come to start a religion. He didn't come to start an organization. He didn't come to start a political party. He came to reach lost people. Lost and hurting people. As Christians, we have the thrilling opportunity to join Jesus on this adventure and helping spiritually lost people find Christ. I'm going to tell you something. Having contagious faith, I call it contagious faith where you witness. It can't be a legalistic thing. You know, the truth of the matter, over the years when we've heard a sermon on witnessing, we either do one of two things. We either immediately kick it out. Oh, I've heard that before. Oh, here we go. Witnessing. We've got a witness. We've got a witness. We've got a witness. And you know you've got a witness. You know you're supposed to witness. So when you hear that the sermon's going to be on witnessing or evangelism, you immediately kick it out. Or, that's what you do. Or number two, you feel guilty. Because you know you're supposed to do it, but you had not been doing it. How many have ever felt guilty? Anybody felt guilty? For feeling not with, well, I tell you, I used to feel guilty all the time. I feel guilty. I used to hate them things. They'd bring in an evangelist and go and do an evangelistic campaign in the city, glory to God. And we're going to go out from door to door. And, and I was, they always did in the summer when I was out of school. And my parents and grandparents would always volunteer me. Because they was working, I got volunteered to go out with the evangelist. And we'd go door to door, door to door, door to door. Every summer, sharing Jesus. And I felt, I, I knew I was supposed to, but boy, I felt guilty. And then, then I'd hear sermons on personal evangelism, and I knew I hadn't shared Jesus with anybody, and I felt guilty. I felt guilty about it. Knew I was supposed to do it. The truth of the matter is, being a witness should be a product of the value of our life, not something we legalistically do. Let me give you an example. I want to challenge you this morning not to a legalistic witnessing program. The last thing I want anybody to do here is to leave here feeling guilty or feeling heavy or feeling bad or condemned because you hadn't brought somebody to church. I don't want that to happen. That's not the purpose of this this morning. But I do want us to evaluate what spiritual values are important in our life. See, a value in our life is something we consider of great worth. A value in our life is worthy of our loyalty. It's worthy of our time, our energy, and our resources. That's what a value is. A value is something we consider of great worth. It's something that's just a part of our fabric of our being. It's not something we have to make ourselves do. It's not something we have to work at. It's just part of who we are. That's a value. 
in our family, every family has values. Every family has values. Okay? Cleanliness. For most of you, cleanliness is a value you embrace in your family. You say, well, I didn't really... Yes, you do. You don't leave this house without brushing your teeth. You take a shower on Saturday nights at least. You at least take a shower on Saturday nights. Cleanliness, you wear clean underwear, you wear clean clothes. It's a value. You don't think about it. It's just part of the fabric of your life. Well, two of the values of my family, and every family has different values, but two of the values of our family is honesty and loyalty. We're going we're gonna to walk in. We don't deal with deception in my family. You mess up, fess up. You mess up, fess up, and God will help you get up. All right? You mess up, fess up, God will help you get up. But if you hide and be deceptive, you're on your own. Do you know this? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. The Bible calls Him the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit only operates in the arena of truth. He never gets outside of truth and honesty. The Holy Spirit never gets outside of truth and honesty. He only operates in the arena of truth. If you and I get ourselves in a mess and we lie to get out of it, the Holy Spirit cannot work with us because He will never get out of the arena of honesty and truth. And what I learned many, many years ago when I mess up, fess up, and the Holy Spirit, though it might be painful what I have to go through because I've messed up, the Holy Spirit will walk with me through that situation as long as I stay in the arena of truth. The truth might be painful, it might be hurtful, it might cause me some severe consequences, but if it's the truth, the Holy Spirit will stay right there with me. When I try to lie or deceive or spin the story to keep the, the pain of it from not being as bad on me, then I'm on my own. Because the Holy Spirit only operates in the arena of truth. So in our home, truth is important. With our children, telling the truth is important. I don't care what you did, I just want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. And then the other value in our home is loyalty. We have a friend, we're going to keep a friend. If you're my friend, I was raised an only child, so friendship for me is very important. Those of you who have five or six brothers and sisters, you're always willing to get rid of one or two. For me, anybody that shows up is a friend of mine for life, you see. So friendship, a loyalty, and truthfulness are values. You have values in your home. These are non-negotiables. This is what we believe. This is not something we have to work at doing. This is part of the fabric of our life. See, a value is a boundary. A value is what you put gives hope. It gives definition to our life. It's a guide. Values which we embrace become a part of the fabric of our life. They're not something we have to do and make ourselves do. It's just who you are. Likewise... A life value is a guide and boundary that directs and gives definition. Values which we embrace become a fabric of our life. Likewise, spiritual values are not something we have to work at keeping up or doing or checking off a list. Spiritual values are just a part of our life. So this morning, I'm not here to try to make you feel bad for not going out and telling somebody about Jesus. I want you and I to evaluate what's our spiritual values. In, life of what, in light of what God's spiritual values are. 
And here's God's values. They're very simple. And they need to be our values. Number one, people matter to God. People matter. Why do I want to share Jesus? Not because it's, I, we're on a witnessing tour and we've got to do one a day for 30 days. No, I want to share Jesus because people matter to God. And I embrace that value. Jim, Jim had a passion for God. He had a love for people and a burden to communicate the gospel. But Jim wrestled with the question of how to bring the message of Christ into a setting that seemed so far removed from him. How could he help people believe in Christ who had no biblical understanding? Jim didn't have all the answers, but Jim knew he had to try to help them because he understood that people matter to God. He went to great lengths to relate to their culture. For starters, he shaved his head because the people in that culture, they had the men had bald heads. He shaved his head. Some of you would work good in that culture. Not, in, not because you intentionally did it. You just, it's happened that way for you. For starters, he shaved his head. Except for one patch of hair right down the middle. He allowed it to grow long because that's the way men in that culture allowed their hair to grow. He began wearing a pigtail. And I like that. I like that. And he even dyed his hair a different color. I mean, he'd get along well with the millennials of today. He gave up his business suits and began to dress like the people he was trying to reach. He changed his eating patterns and his food choices to begin eating how they ate and what they ate. He learned their vocabulary and their language so he could talk to them a little bit about John chapter 3, verse 16. He read their newspapers. He studied their ideas and did everything he could think of to find common ground with him. He didn't do it from a distance. He moved to their land. He left his home, America, and moved to their land, their neighborhoods, and lived among them. He walked their streets, played with their children, took time every day talking with them. Yet after years, after eight years of doing this, people still rejected his message. They rejected him, but surely the people in America that the organization he was with would... Promote him, no, they rejected him too. Say, we can't believe you give up your suits to do that. We can't believe you are starting to look like them. We're not going to support you if you do that. Jim paid the price of loneliness, weariness, and discouragement. He was criticized from his church friends and his family. He also lived with the daily rejection of the people he was trying to witness to. They never accepted him for a long time. Jim is more widely known today as James Hudson Taylor. He's the man who more than a century ago gave up everything and eventually built the China Inland Mission. The China Inland Mission became the largest Protestant missions agency in the world. His influence and ministry changed the lives of Amy Carmichael, Amy Carmichael, the great female missionary of India who stayed 55 years and helped thousands and thousands of children through her orphanages. He was the main inspiration behind Eric Lindell, the famous runner of the 1924 Paris Olympics. Later, Eric Lindell became the missionary to Japan and China. 
Billy Graham also says that it was Hudson Taylor, James Hudson Taylor, who impressed upon him the need to change and take the gospel to the world. Louis Palau, the great crusade evangelist, who's touched millions of people, attributes his success in ministry to James Hudson Taylor. Each one of these men and women embraced the spiritual value. People matter to God. People matter to God. Number two, people are spiritually lost. Not only do people matter to God, people are spiritually lost. That needs to be a part of the fabric of our life. There was a book written, you probably remember it, several years ago. It was entitled, I'm Okay, You're Okay. Anybody remember that book? I'm Okay, You're Okay. Some of you shaking your heads this way. You had to be born before 1980, okay? I'm okay, you're okay. That's a great book. I love the title, I'm okay, you're okay. But it was from a psychologist who said, everybody's okay. Whether you're a Christian or not, everybody's okay. Well, it's a great title, I'm okay, you're okay. But the truth is, if you don't have Christ, you're not okay. You're not okay. I'm a late night owl. I love late night out. I usually go to bed to 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. But one thing I've noticed, the later you're up... TV degenerates in its morality. And you know, for a fee at 1 o'clock in the morning, a fee to your credit card, you can be connected to your own personal psychic who can give you direction in life. YouTube, late at night, offers subscriptions that will enable you to enter into an arena of awareness. That will solve the meaning of life and happiness for you. And not only that, but they're false prophets and teachers. Charlatans masquerading as ministers of the gospel will send you a personal word of prophecy for a fee. For a fee. All these venues of deception exist because people are spiritually lost and they're wanting to be found. They're just looking for an answer. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. The Bible says in Romans 6 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. We have the answer. People matter to God. People are spiritually lost. And thirdly, people need Christ. This is not something that you have to make. Your, it just needs to be a fabric of our lives. People matter to God. People are lost and people need Christ. Acts 2.21 says, It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We hear this all the time nowadays. Everybody has their own views and their own way to God. That might be what they say, but that's not correct. We hear this, it doesn't matter what you believe if you're sincere. That might be sound good, but it's not correct. If you believe wrong, you can spend an eternity without God. We hear this all the time. We should never impose our personal beliefs on anyone. That sounds great, but the truth of the matter is if you don't, they're going to live in deception the rest of their lives. Like it or not, Christianity has become an unpopular message in America. But that doesn't change the the requirement that God has given us to take the gospel to people. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. 
Peter said it this way, There is no salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about a, I'm not talking about a checklist, a legalistic thing. Well, I need to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to find somebody to witness to today. No, I'm talking about values that are a part of the fabric of our Christian existence. And those values are this, people matter to God. People are lost, spiritually lost, and people need Christ. But then the fourth and final one is this, people need answers. They're looking for answers. They're looking for answers. Do you realize people are more more educated than they've ever been? Our kids, our kids... No more about technology. They can run your life, my life, and their neighbor's life from your phone. Our kids. You want to find out to something about a MacBook or a phone? Give it to a four-year-old. They can figure it out for you and give it back to you. I locked my password. I, I couldn't remember my password. I gave it to my grandkid. I said, get this for me, man. Here you go. Here you go, grand. Here you go, grand. Here you go. And I want to say, now who's the grand here? I'm, they're grand. See, people need answers. They're not looking just for an emotional feeling. They need answers. Today, people require more than simply having the gospel declared to them. They also need it defined and defended. They don't merely need to decide whether to follow Christ. They need to know who Christ is and what it means to follow Him. We have a sober responsibility to be trained and to be able to communicate the gospel in a logical way to people who are seeking for answers. We do good, church. We get the music piped up and we get the beat going and we do great, church. But what about out there on that assembly line when the music's not piped up And somebody tells you that their husband has just been diagnosed with cancer. They need answers right then. And you've got it. You've been sent to that line just for that moment. That's why the Bible says, Study to show yourself approved. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. That's why I encourage you every day to read your Bible. That's why I encourage you to come to classes and get involved in life group because you and I are on assignment to take this gospel to people. It's not something you have to make yourself do. If you'll just embrace these values that people matter to God, people are lost, people need Christ, and people are needing answers. If that just becomes how you live, God will put you in the places to connect with people who are looking for those answers. How many times has somebody ever asked you a question spiritually and you couldn't answer it? You said, well, let me, I'll give you the phone number of my pastor. I'll give you a phone number of my life group. No, you've got the answers. Stand with me, would you? People matter to God. People matter to God. People matter to God. People matter. 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 matter. The baby.
babies in the nursery matter. The babies in the nursery matter. The autistic children matter. Our teenagers, they matter. Our senior adults with Alzheimer's, they matter. People matter to God. The kids, they matter to us. Oh God, give us a heart for people. I don't want anybody here. If you leave here today feeling bad because you're not witnessing, you didn't get it from me. You must have been piped in on your phone to New Vision. You did not get it from me. This is not about going out and doing a legalistic program. I just want us to evaluate our spiritual values. And if anything, I want us to leave here and asking the Lord, help me to have the value toward the world that you have toward the world. And then being a witness is not something we do. It's just something we are. It's something we are. Lord Jesus, bless our people. Let this coming week no evil befall them. Let no plague come nigh them. No terror can come close to them or their families. No accident or injury can plague them this week. The angels of God encamp about them. Let them have favor with their employer and their